1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda and Danny Abdel-Jabbar. What's up, brother? Chilling, man. As per usual, and happy Halloween to you, brother. Happy Halloween. Yeah, this should be released on Sunday. So we're we're recording this podcast on Thursday, the 28th. So this should be released on Sunday, Halloween. And uh, Danny, uh, what are you going to be for Halloween? Because I know you take this very seriously.
2: Yeah, man, I'm the self-proclaimed king of Halloween. I spend way too much money on Halloween costumes and shit like that. Uh, This year, I'll be going as the devil. Sounds pretty basic, but I've got this ridiculous mask that's got this giant row of teeth. I'll show you later. Um, But uh, it kind of looks like... um, You ever watch uh, Attack on Titan, the anime? Or at least familiar with it? Um, Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It looks like one of those those creatures... Right, like one of those fucking giant things, like a really big mouth with like huge teeth and shit, you know? Yeah. I like, think that, but like the devil, and it's nuts. And I got this super dope, like red, like pimp suit kind of, right? And uh, uh, for my girlfriend, um, she's going, as, she's always my prop for Halloween. She's going as an angel. And, How misogynistic uh, actually, are
1: you? She's your prop.
3: <laughs> yeah, only How on How dare Halloween. you call her a
2: Prop. <laughs> she accentuates my costume well she, she's uh, she's going as an angel this year and uh, what are you in a Taliban
1: I, um, <laughs> sorry she's going as an angel and, and she's going right. to counter your devil that's right and,
2: uh, I, and I, I didn't want it to be basic so I actually went to the hardware store and picked up like a bunch of random shit so like PVC pipe like some boards and shit and I'm constructing these giant fucking wings like talking about like 8 foot wingspan wings that we're, that I made out of like this PVC and stuff like that. I got this fabric that we're going to put on it. And like, I've got probably like 2000 feathers and we're going through the process of like gluing all these fucking feathers onto the thing. So, uh, if you're on Patreon, I'll send you guys a, a picture when it's done so you can see it. Um, but it's, uh, this is, this is going to be a good one. And I needed to make up for last year because last year, you know, Halloween was canceled basically because of COVID fucking COVID. Um, but you'll see me marching in the parade. Hopefully, I get on TV. Wait, again last this year, year last
1: cool. year you uh, spent like a grand on your Halloween costume. No, the and year, year before that, the year
2: before that. That was oh, that was two years
1: that. before. Oh man, Because yeah, last track of year was years. COVID.
2: I recycled that that oh. costume for for last year um, because I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to spend a bunch of money uh, on a Halloween costume when I've already done that. And you know, the the whole point of it for me, at least, is like I like going out into the city. And I like walking in the parade and I like, you know, all the random people that stop me to take pictures. And like, I probably end up on like thousands of people's Instagrams and I don't even know. Uh, And that's just like fun for me. Like I like to be seen, you know, and that's why, that's why I do this. Um, It's like a self gratifying kind of thing, but it's only once a year so. (laughs) Do you cosplay? No, I don't cosplay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that, that big a nerd. Just, just Halloween.
1: (laughs) You should LARP. You're Fuck like one, LARPing. You're you're <laughs> honestly LARPing sound have you ever witnessed LARPing? Like have have yes, you dude, probably in seen college, LARPers? In
2: college, there was like a whole LARPing group and they would go out into the field and like <laughs> just beat the shit out of each other with like these foam boppers. It was hilarious.
1: LARPers, I see them all well, I used to see them when I lived up up in the Upper East Side, um LARPers in Central Park all the time. They mm-hmm. had some type of meetup group where they were there like on the dot, like every Saturday or Sunday. I forget which day it was, but they were always there. And I used to just sit down, watch, and I used to envy them. I used to like, in, I'm like, man, I wish I could do this. I wish I could mentally and physically like walk out, dress like a um, you know 11 year old at a at a birthday party. Probably just like a knockoff
2: medieval times, younger character, than that. you know,
1: yeah, <laughs> and just be at perfect ease and have a blast. Like, I have such jealousy and envy for people who, who, who do that. And I'm not even trying mm-hmm. to be like a dick right now and trying to be like, oh, nah, <laughs> <laughs> nerd, like, I really do wish I could do that because it looks at it really looks like a lot of fun to do that. Just to like, hey man, um, I mean, that that's kind of the reason why I like Halloween
2: so much because it's like the one day a year where you have an excuse to wear whatever the fuck you want and have a good time and everyone's doing it. So, you know, everyone's having a good time and like, there's such great, you know, uh, uh, conversations that get started, especially if you like pick something that's like super weird or obscure. And you're like, Hey, what are you? And then boom, immediate conversation starter. You know, I, I, I really like Halloween for that reason. Cause it, it gives you like the in to be able to express yourself in that way and and you know henry maybe you should take halloween a little bit more seriously you can capture a little bit of that jealousy that you have of those larpers and like channel that into a day where you have like kind of less social pressure or less social anxiety about it because everybody's doing (laughs) something weird on halloween
1: this halloween i'm already booked i have my engagement photos do you, are you gonna be dressed up like us, like something? <laughs> and, yeah, we're gonna be uh, Dorothy and uh, the Tin Man. Seriously, I'm gonna be Dorothy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy, and the, I suggested that though. Dorothy and the Scarecrow or the Tin Man. Do I have no heart or do I have no brain? Uh brain.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's probably more
1: accurate. I'll be the. That's just that's, that's the Scarecrow, right? I got the. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it got my characters me, right, me, my me. Wizard of Oz characters. Um, okay, so, let's yeah. uh, mm-hmm. enough enough of this shit. Let's get to the episode. Mm-hmm. Sorry, got to hear that, everyone. Hopefully, now you're nice <laughs> and warmed up for this show. That's why we do this, We're right? ready we have a little some... banter session for a couple minutes because it warms us up, so we can talk about this stuff uh, a little bit, a little bit less uh, uptight. But. Yesterday, well, not yesterday, last week, we had a great conversation with uh, Joseph Solis Moen. I got Solis right this time. And we had a really good conversation about China, uh, Taiwan, and uh, Joseph came on and he compared it, uh, you know, in a potential war with China over Taiwan with the Falklands War, which was a very interesting comparison. And uh, I encourage everyone to listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Now, something that came up and we all agreed this would be something interesting to expand upon was hypersonic missiles because hypersonic missiles has been probably one of the number one topics in um, national security news. If you just type in hypersonic, like there's the articles, um, the Pentagon is releasing statements on hypersonic missiles. There is a big, I mean, today is Thursday. Uh, there is a, a big Wall Street Journal article. There was a big New York Times article on hypersonic missiles. And it's uh, becoming the rage right now uh, to talk about this. And um, something that we wish we went over a little bit more is what exactly is a hypersonic missile and what this really means for the world, whether that be good or bad or, you know, or whatever, this bunch of hype. Because I'm really not that sure about it um, I'm not really the tech guy of this but I definitely have my suspicions that this could be a buzzword to you know aka be used to increase defense spending and um, we found this this guy um, well let me let, why don't you take it from here and dumb this down as much as possible so we can just start on some super basic stuff so uh what are hypersonic missiles or, you know, where do you start when explaining this?
2: Yep. And, and I think you're just about to like introduce kind of the source material that we got from this. And I think that's important because I want to give him credit. Uh, that's, that's Dr. Cameron Tracy. And he was, uh, he, he is with the Union of Concerned Scientists uh, who does research on things like hypersonic missiles and nuclear materials. Um, we'll try and link out to that if you want to watch it. uh, Heads up, he does a good job at explaining a lot of this shit, but it's also kind of um, boring uh, if you're not like super nerd like me. Um, And I kind of want to bite off a lot of what he's doing, but just dumb it down, as you said, a lot. Uh, And and I'll just start with uh, just talking about missiles, generally speaking, uh, because I think it's good context for um, when we talk about hypersonic missiles specifically. Um, So missiles are basically just airborne vehicles that Deliver a you know a warhead, something explosive, uh, to a target that's far away, right? And you know you can uh, deliver this missile. You know you can you know, shoot it off in a bunch of different ways. So you can shoot it from a sub. You can shoot it from a ship. You could sit, shoot it from like trucks. Uh, you could shoot them from like silos. We got a bunch of silos. Uh, or you can shoot them from you know airplanes. You can and shoot them from everywhere. You can shoot them out your ass if you want, you know, like, I'm sure they're probably developing that. Um, So there are generally two types of missiles, right? And and maybe three, really. Um, There are cruise missiles. Now, cruise missiles are, uh, they have like powered flight, meaning they are constantly moving and they're constantly burning. Um, But they're pretty slow. Uh, and they're shorter-ranged, you can think of them like a, like an unmanned airplane, right? It's just like a, a thing that flies, and it's got a little rocket, and it's like, you know, the rocket keeps going until it hits the target, right? That, that's a cruise missile. Now, the other big one is a ballistic missile, right? And these are unpowered um, uh, uh, devices, or at least after the rocket burns out, right? So they're pretty fast. Uh, they're very long-range. Uh, you can think of them as like super similar to like a space launch vehicle, right? You know, or like SpaceX, you see the, the giant rocket launcher. And it flies up into the space and shit. Works ex- pretty much exactly the same way. Uh, and then the third one would be the topic of today, which is hypersonic missiles. And we'll, we'll um, I'll talk more about that later though.
1: And, and wait, in this, can you hit ballistic missile a little bit more, in just a little bit more detail. So a ballistic missile, it's going up into space and then it's using gravity to get to a place, a target faster
2: that that's right so so um basically and i'll talk more specifically about this and it's a good math, reference to
1: those shooting contests you know like when the guys are shooting in a long distance and they you know they have their ballistics and they're trying to measure right where they gotta like, aim
2: higher kind of right yeah it, it's 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 more uh, a ballistic missile is more akin to like shooting an arrow right so you you, you basically you, you got the bow and you, you got the arrow attached to it right And you kind of let it loose, and then it just flies in this arc pattern, right? That's how that's how um, ballistic missiles work, right? Except instead of a you know an arrow, it's a um, it's a fucking missile. It's like a rocket, right? Um, But I'll get into more detail about that uh, in a little bit because it's it's
1: amazing the upgrades uh, of technology we've made. This is something else that we spoke about last episode. Just the way that we have enhanced our technology to kill each other. like we yep. went from arrows to hypersonic missiles yeah <laughs> <in> and <laughs> what 800 years yeah probably shorter 700 um, 700 years when did we start predominantly using guns on the battlefield 14 1500 yeah. i mean
2: i wouldn't say predominantly so, but at the very least that's when it started yeah
1: yeah cuz we
2: still have like fucking cavalry and shit up it's to it's not like, that you much know.
1: time too it's not it's no, really it's, not, it's not that, really. that much time mm. to think when you really just think about it like mm-hmm. i mean you could probably find a family tree and trace your roots back down there if you know if you had somebody in your family who was like super into that stuff like it wouldn't be that many generations it would be a lot it's, it's of generations a, but it'd be less than you but, think but
2: you're you're gen- you're generally right it's a big stretch from like arrows to hypersonic missiles you know
1: well, if you just reverse it, though, like 600 years before, you know, the year 1300 and the year 800, mm-hmm. or am I doing it's my like math a bunch wrong? Of 700, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I mean, technology really wasn't that, I mean, technology was different, but it wasn't yep. that different.
2: Nope. Nope. They're still, still basically bas- using the basic same shit.
1: weapons. hmm I mean, they've mm-hmm. been still using the same basic weapons since, you know, the, for, for a couple thousand years. Yep. They right. are sh- pointy shit. Pointy shit. Pointy shit that you put Increasingly in somebody else's body shit. until they bleed to death. <laughs> right. Or blunt things that you can smash someone's brains out with. Those are right. the two that's primary right. weapons. Right. And pointy now, shit and blunt shit. Mm-hmm. Warheads, firebombs right. that explode and uh, kill everyone within... I mean, I guess you can really pick and choose what mile radius depending on the warhead, right? But I don't right. know. I think it's an interesting observation to really, to really take in the level of enhancements and weapons technologies that we've made over the past, for uh, sure. you know, eight seven hundred years. Uh, but yeah, get back to the um, the uh, hypersonic missiles now.
2: Sure. So um, I, I know we touched on this last episode, but just for the newcomers, um, hypersonic. The word is just like a loose grouping of the unit of measure of speed based on how many times the speed of sound an object is going. Right, So the word in hypersonic sonic refers to sound. So hypersonic implies a faster than the speed of sound. A lot faster, actually. Uh, and, and hypersonic is currently the fastest grouping of speed we have based on the speed of sound. So the speed of sound is 767 miles per hour. That's for, you know, the metric folks out there, that's 1,234 kilometers an hour. That means nothing to me. <laughs> uh, for context, uh, speed of sound is uh, New York to London. So that's 3,459 miles apart in like four and a half hours. So that's faster than a typical flight, but pretty slow for
1: our conversation. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. So supersonic is when Sonic uh, turn you get all the Chaos Emeralds and Sonic turns uh, yellow and is able to like fly and move really fast and is invincible, no. right?
2: No, that's not that's not what it. is it's that? That's hypersonic. <laughs> no, no, it's neither. Um, so let me pull it back a bit. So you, you've got a couple of different categories of these like Sonic, um, uh, uh, and I don't mean the Sega Sonic, of course. Um, so you've got subsonic, and that's below the speed of sound. So this is like commercial airplanes, right? Think like a typical 747. They go about Mach 0.86, right? So less than a Mach, not even one Mach. And and then you have supersonic, right? So this is the middle one. Uh, So that's above the speed of sound also. Uh, And examples of this are like that supersonic commercial plane. Remember the Concorde? Yes, I do. Cool. Well, That one goes Mach 2. And that one can make the trip between New York City and London in other, in, in like three hours, uh, under three hours, actually. So it's a pretty nice upgrade over commercial airlines, but uh, it sucks that they discontinued those planes. Um, and, and then finally, the the last bit, which is the one that we're talking about today, it's hypersonic, right? So you go subsonic, supersonic, hypersonic. And hypersonic generally starts at like Mach 5 or five times the speed of sound, and um, Examples here are like experimental planes, things like the U S air force, uh, tested this one plane called the X-15 that thing goes Mach 6.7. Uh, so an X-15 to to continue this example, um, if it was going at Mach 6.7, uh, continuously from New York to London, uh, it would take less than 45 minutes. So it's super fast, right? Um, but it. Definitely wouldn't make it that far because those things have only been able to sustain that speed for like, I don't know, 300 miles or something like that.
1: So, so here's the thing with hypersonic, it seems like a new term, but I swear I've heard the word. I mean, I've heard about hypersonic missiles prior, but it just seems Mm -hmm. like this is like the way that's being portrayed in the media is that this is like some new secret weapon that's been unleashed on the world. And we're about (laughs) to be destroyed. Like we're about, <laughs> yeah. like China has access to hypersonic missiles and we are mm-hmm. doomed. But this isn't like a new thing, right? Like we've, other countries have developed hypersonic weapons, right?
2: Right. Like, am I crazy? So,
1: no, you, you, you've got that right. I mean, it's, hypersonic, generally speaking,
2: has been around for a, a long time, right? Things that go hypersonic have been around for a long, long time. So one good example is... um are the earliest examples, the Nazi V2 rocket, right? And that was honestly the first modern missile that was developed. Um, and, and that traveled at Mach 4.8, so just shy of hypersonic, but not by much. And this was way back in the 40s, right? And our, all of our current intercontinental ballistic missiles, or ICBMs, um, that the U.S. and Russia and China and, and the like all have, Uh, they all go like Mach 20 when they're being powered by that rocket booster. So extremely fast, right? Um, So as it relates to hypersonic missiles, we're not talking about some breakthrough in a speed of delivery, right? But there are some emerging missile technologies that are new that are traveling at hypersonic speeds to hit their targets. And it's a lot like the one that China tested last week, right? So this would be a new technology that just happens to be going hypersonic.
1: So I guess here's the real question then. So why is everyone saying that this new technology that China has is actually, is it, that, that China is beating us, beating the United States in this technology?
2: I, I, um, hmm. that's, that's a loaded question. And I think it, it, it would take some time to unpack that. Um, m- maybe for now, let's just start with some basics, right? Um, so what's new and different about these hypersonic missiles, like the one that, that um, China recently tested, um, is the trajectories that they follow. In other words, the path that they go from launch to target, right? Uh, so to highlight this, I can I can tell you a little bit about the differences between ICBMs and these new hypersonic missiles that are being tested by China. So an ICBM it and we were talking about this a little bit earlier right it takes a pretty basic arc path to hit its target so it goes from you know it's it's launched from the launch sites, usually like a you know like a launching pad and it goes way up into outer space in the general direction of its target right like pointing in that direction eventually when it gets to the top tippy top point it runs out of fuel and they ditch the booster kind of like with the space shuttles right you see and then they're going up and they get to a certain point they kind of like kick the boosters off right at this point, um, we only have the warhead, like the just the tip, right? And, and it's going pretty fast already uh, through space, but it's just kind of coasting to its target, right? And then it uses gravity to basically just fall back to Earth to hit its target. And, you know, how we get it to, like, hit is just we use math and physics to get good with the aim.
1: So, um, and by the way, we did an entire episode on, um, on ICBMs um, Do you live near a nuclear sponge? That's the episode. So if you're interested in that, we actually cover that for like an hour and a half or so. That's right. Um, But here's the thing. I've read that hypersonic missiles, they don't actually fly the same path as uh, ICBMs, which makes them harder to defend against.
2: Well, you're, you're right about the path part. But for hypersonic missiles, we actually have to talk about what kind of hypersonic missile, because there's at least two types, maybe three. Uh, and, and this is actually the part that tripped me up on our last episode when we spoke briefly about this. I'll make a correction on what I said later, um, but um, the, the, the two types of hypersonic missiles that we could be talking about um, are boost glide missiles and uh, air breathing or, ra- or scramjet hypersonic missiles. So boost glide missiles, these uh, can be launched in a few different ways, but most commonly they're launched just like an ICBM, right? So like an ICBM, they start off, you know, uh, with uh, uh, like a rocket that they're attached to, right? And they get shot up into the sky and into space um, just like an ICBM. And then they ditch the uh, the rocket booster, just like an ICBM. The difference here is, rather than staying in that giant arc pattern, they pretty much immediately dip back into, um, you know, uh, the atmosphere. And the hypersonic boost glide missile stops accelerating once the booster is kicked out. That's the that's the boost part of boost glide. And so the difference, though, is is in the way they you know they go up to space. They just break into space. And, and, and just immediately come back into the atmosphere and that's where that glide part comes in uh, in that boost glide so it then glides through the atmosphere at a hypersonic speed to its target so think of like how a paper airplane works right um but instead of like your hand boosting the paper airplane it's a it's a rocket and and of course instead of a paper airplane it's a freaking cruise missile and it's way faster too right so basically, we have a rocket, makes it go super fast. And then for the rest of the trip, it's basically like a paper airplane and it just glides through the air, but like super fast. Now, the second type that I was talking about is is a air breathing or a scramjet hypersonic missile. And these can also be launched like a rocket, like an ICBM could, but more commonly, we've, they've been tested uh, and launched while attached to an airplane, right? And it has its own little booster rocket which brings it up to a hypersonic speed, and then it detaches, right? And then the warhead itself has an air-breathing engine. Basically, it uses the force of the air that's moving against it at that hypersonic speed, and it mixes it up with some fuel, and that creates its own thrust. So best way I can think of this is uh, like a sports car, right? So you know those little vents uh, in the hood of um, you know these sports car cars? They're, they're called hood scoops. Right, well, so the the functional ones, uh, what they do is they're used to take in more air and they use that air and they combine it with fuel to make the engine go faster. So same idea with these air-breathing hypersonic cruise missiles. But the big difference here is that with this type of missile, it stays in the atmosphere for most, if not all of its trip. And it's also stepping on the gas continuously throughout its flight. And this is very different from the boost glide ones and the ICBMs, which basically only rely on that initial booster rocket to get it up to speed, and then they slow down over time. Um, some other variations of this that I won't get into too much detail um, are like wave rider missiles, which like the name implies, uh, it basically rides the shock wave that's created by going above the speed of sound. And they kind of skip through the atmosphere. Like think of a, think of like skipping a stone across the water, but instead of the water, it's the air, right? Um, do you think you have a good grasp
1: on the different types of these missiles now, or? Well, yeah, this is a, probably a good litmus test because I, I let's see if I can get this right. So there's like the paper airplane. So there's the the hypersonic boost glide missile. That's right. Paper so aircraft. that's the one that accelerates and then it glides and it, glides and it hits a target, right? Like so. Right, that's right. And then <laughs> the the other one that you said uh, what uh, what ramjet Honic missile is that what it's called scramjet? Yeah, scramjet. Scram, scramjet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that or air is, breathing, that's another word. Or air it. breathing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. that just continues to accelerate, uh, to the target. Am I, am I getting that correctly or that like the basic gist?
2: That's right. I mean, it has a terminal velocity. Like it doesn't keep going faster and faster and faster, but it'll maintain a okay. constant
1: speed. Right. Got Gotcha. All right. So are those like the need to know things about the differences between the two? That's right. Mm-hmm. All right, good. I picked that up. I can't believe it. Um, (laughs) so, um, I, have been reading a lot about how these, um, these hypersonic missiles are really amazing. And, um, you know, China is beating us. That's, that's the narrative that we hear that China is beating us in the development of hypersonic missiles. And it's in every single major news outlet, wall street journals, uh, wall street journals. Uh, I, I don't know why I call them wall street journals. Uh, the wall street journal. Um, New York Times. I saw something in the Washington Post about this. Um, it's, it's all literally over. Everywhere. It's yeah. literally everywhere, and it's all about oh, China's beating us in the hypersonic missile. And the main thing that they talk about is that it, you know, they they uh, emphasize the hyper. So you know they say it's mm-hmm. faster than anything part. that we've ever made, and it's going to be impossible to stop. And um, you know, you I think you even said in our last episode uh, that that's the case, right? I, I mean, I brought Mm. that up last episode. Um, so I mean, what is, what is the deal with that? Like, is this really something that's faster than the current missiles that are in service?
2: Well, that part is kind of complicated and I definitely got that part wrong last time. Um, but in the case of boost glide hypersonic missile, the answer appears to be a clear no. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the, you know, kind of source material here. Um, so these are the paper uh, airplane that
3: to,
1: ones, all right? Uh, we'll just the paper airplane the one ones. That, the paper airplane ones. So imagine a paper That's right. airplane. Right. Uh, so the paper airplane
2: ones are are not at all, not even close to as fast. So go- going back to the, the talk that, that I watched here, um, Dr. Tracy, he goes into a lot of detail uh, about it. And I, I just want to go ahead and point out some of the interesting findings that he brings up. So I'll just come out and say them now, and we can talk about why later. So here's a few things that he found out. The paper airplanes are slower than ICBMs. The paper airplanes are not invisible. The paper airplanes can be taken out with existing defenses. The paper airplanes are expensive. And the paper airplanes are basically just a money grab for the Defense Department and its contractors. And that's the conclusions that he comes to.
1: Okay, so... And and I watched this. I watched this video too. And I think this went more over my head than yours. Obviously, I'm having mm-hmm. trouble understanding how. How are these hypersonic missiles slower than the ICBMs today? So surprisingly, the reason is actually really easy to follow.
2: Um, the mistake everyone's making about these weapons, myself included, honestly, uh, is that is focusing super hard on that word hypersonic. Right, so you hear well, hypersonic hyper. and you're like, "Oh, sh-. right." I it's, hear with hyper and I'm like, "Fast." Hyper?
1: Hyper? hyper is
2: better than super, so it must be super fast, right? No, hyper is in, what in the case you of these
1: describe as like a, an annoying kid in school. Oh, he's hyper. He's <laughs> yeah. so hyper.
2: That's that was before was we uh, we understood what um, <laughs> what, I was what ADHD called.
1: was. Right? <laughs> he's a hyper. Um, I'm gonna put him on riddle and just super hyper.
2: Yeah, so for for these paper airplanes like ICBMs, they only really travel at that super fast speed for the boost phase, but that's the part when they're still attached to the rocket, right? So once that rocket is ejected, that warhead no longer accelerates and it actually slows down over time as it passes through the atmosphere. With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about
1: anywhere. But I read that because hypersonic missiles don't travel as as high as ICBMs. They um, they don't have to make as long as a trip, which is why they get to the target faster. So that's a good
2: point, and that's the going narrative. But it's just a narrative, um, and it's wrong. Uh, so the first thing that the narrative ignores is air resistance for boost glide hypersonic missiles. For these paper airplanes, the the warhead stays in the atmosphere much longer than the ICBMs do. So ICBM warheads are in the atmosphere for like five minutes tops. And the first part of it is during that boost phase when it's traveling on the way up. And then the other part of it is when they're in that free fall stage on the way down. But for the majority of the ICBM trip, it's in space where there's no air resistance or drag. That's what it's called, right? So for these paper airplane ones, the boost glide ones, they actually slow down considerably during the flight because it spends the majority of the time in the atmosphere. So while it's true that the total distance that the hypersonic missile travels is less than the distance that an ICBM would be traveling because they go much, much higher, the fact that it's hitting so much drag during the flight actually makes it hit its target later than an ICBM would because it's slowing down over time. So Do- Dr. Perry actually goes on and on and on and on about the math behind it. I- I'm not going to bore you with it. Y- either take my word for it or go watch the video, right? Um, but to highlight this a bit more, he, he points out this really interesting uh, testimony and, and I want to just like kind of read it to you. So there's this is guy, General Hyten, Uh, He's the STRATCOM commander, and uh, in 2019, he testified to the Senate Arms uh, Service Committee uh, about, like, hypersonic weapons. And uh, Senator Senator Shaheen, who was doing the questioning at the time, he asked the question, uh, you know, would we have any sense about how much time from the point at uh, which those weapons might be launched until when they might land in the United States? To which General Hayton responds, uh, it's a shorter period of time. The ballistic missile is roughly 30 minutes. A hypersonic weapon, depending on the design, could be half of that, depending on where it was launched from, the platform. Okay, so he's implying here, General Hayton, is implying that uh, the hypersonic missile is going to reach its target sooner than an ICBM. But notice how he did that implication, right? Notice how he implied it. The one thing he said was, depending on where it was launched from, right?
1: And if we go so back was to the he, math, So what that, does he really mean by depending on where it's launched from? Like it could just mean right,
2: anything- Right, so Do- Dr. Perry actually did the math around it, right? And like, okay. clearly, clearly physics says if you launch those two weapons from the same place- the ICBM is going to get there faster because, because it's, it's encountering way less drag through the air. But if you're clever about it and you say, depending on where it was launched from, what he's really meaning to say here is that if you launched a hypersonic missile from Ireland to the United States instead of like Moscow, then yeah, it's going to get to the target faster than an ICBM would if it was launched from Moscow because it started closer That's literally the only way physics is going to allow it to get there faster, is if you put it closer. (laughs) So he's being tricky with his words here. He's saying, depending on where it was launched from. Here's another way uh, he was being tricky, he says, depending on the design, right? So here he might be referring to that air-breathing scramjet, right? Uh, You know, the sports car version, right? Um, and, and Dr. Perry didn't actually cover scramjet or air breathing hypersonic missiles in his talk. And that's kind of where I have some doubts about all of his conclusions, especially on the drag issue, uh, b- because literally air, breathing scramjets rely on that air to power the missile and make it keep going faster. But, but here's the thing with all the evidence that we have, especially about this China test, right? China tested a paper airplane, not a air breathing scramjet which is probably why Dr. Perry spent way more time talking about um, the paper airplanes. And also, nobody's ever been able to implement a scramjet missile in a practical way yet for more than like a couple hundred miles. And that basically puts, like just a few hundred miles basically puts us out of range of danger when we're talking about China. Taiwan is totally fucked though. Um, So,
1: all right. So let's let's just do a quick recap. So the missile that China... Mm-hmm. Tested was the airplane one that glides. Paper airplane. The paper That's airplane. Right. All right. So mm-hmm. the one that accelerates and then glides to its target, not right. the 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 scramjet, the you know right. the sports car one that it accelerates constantly to its target, and right. the uh, paper airplane is actually slower than what we have right now.
2: Well, the paper airplane is slower than an ICBM. Yeah,
1: okay. An it ICBM. won't
2: hit its tar- right. It won't because of physics. It won't hit its target faster than a ICBM. It just won't. You can't break physics, you know. Um, and 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 the thing is that the General Heighton here used some, uh, in my opinion, probably intentionally misleading uh, uh, language when he was talking to the Senate arms committee because he knew that the media is going to pick it up. And that's why we're all misled into thinking that these new, you know, hypersonic boost glide missiles are somehow faster than ICBMs and they aren't, they just aren't.
1: All right. So, um, so they're slower, but you said they aren't invincible or invisible, Right. So, doesn't flying lower make the missile harder to detect on on radar?
2: Not not actually not actually um, not exactly at least. Uh, so there's this claim that it's harder to detect because, you know, it's it's flying lower, like you said, right? And and that's actually more about the path that it flies and less about whether or not we can see it. So maybe for some basic ground radar. It might be harder to detect because it flies at an irregular path that's lower, you know. In, in other words, because of the curvature of the Earth, and yes, the Earth is round, not flat. Uh, you know, they won't sure be able that? to see it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Prove it. Uh, <laughs> I think we've done this once before, dude. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to rehash that. That was like two years ago or something like that. Um. Anyway, the uh, because of the curvature of the Earth, if it's flying low right? It would be, the radar wouldn't pick it up very far away. Unlike an ICBM, which flies super, super high, right? So you'd be able to see it earlier on by ground radar. But we're, we're still going to see it because that's not how we track ICBMs. We track ICBMs with satellites, right? And see, we have all these satellites in space and they've been around forever and they're constantly looking for signs of a missile launch like at least since the Cold War, right? And how they do this is by detecting infrared light. And that infrared light is put out by the heat that comes from those rocket boosters, right? Like I said, we've had this for a really long time and we have spent a lot of time and money into developing this technology. And this is how we know about North Korea's war with Atlantis, right? We see them launch the rocket and we can calculate its path and we know that they're going to hit the ocean, Right. And that's why we don't freak out every time they, you know, launch a, a rocket. Remember, boost glide missiles also use rockets, so we're going to see those also on the way
1: up. Aren't we going to be able to predict their path because they don't fly like ICBMs, though, right?
2: N- no, also no. Uh, so it's true that the path is different and irregular. And it would be harder to calculate its path because it's going through the atmosphere instead of that, like, really clearly defined arcing pattern. Um, but remember the drag issue, right? So, you know how in movies, when when an asteroid, it like, coming crashing down into Earth, right, and it goes into the atmosphere? Or, like, when a spaceship is, like, reentering into the atmosphere and you see that there's all, like, that fire and shit that's, like, all around the, the asteroid or all around the spaceship, you, yeah. you know you know what I'm talking about. You're talking about cool. So that's actually air heating up around the object as it passes around it, right? Because the thing is moving so damn fast, and the air is you know has friction against the thing, and then it causes it to basically light on fire. The, the air is on fire, right? Uh, well, same thing happens to that boost glide vehicle, the paper airplane, as it's flying through the air. Remember, it's going five times the speed of sound. It's pretty fast, so it is constantly going to be enveloped in this plume of heat, and that heat is going to give off a lot of infrared light. So that infrared light is not nearly as bright as the light that we would see from a booster rocket, but that light is still well bright enough for us to see it from those satellites. And this is another one of those points that Dr. Tracy debunks with a bunch of math, and I'm not going to go into it, but just put it this way. The thing's moving, If it moves super fast, it's going to encounter drag, and if it encounters drag, it's going to create heat and infrared light, and if it does that, we're going to be able to see it with our satellites, so it's not invisible, and therefore, we can predict its path, or at least we can do a pretty good job.
1: Okay, let's unpack this. So. Um, according to, I guess, the evidence that that or the scientific like uh, projections and mathematical projections of this. So it's not that it's not going to be faster or it's not nope. faster. It's not undetectable. It's not invisible. That's that's right. Um, And but I, I read that because it's like a mini plane that it can avoid missile defenses by just flying out of the way so is that also something that was either addressed by uh dr tracy or i don't know what is that what is what is that like is that true is there any truth to that the fact that that
2: that part is that part is kind of true right um so icbms are basically like I, i said this before right it's like shooting an arrow once you let one go there's no directing it after the fact right and because of this we can use the information that we get from satellites to know with pretty good, you know, uh, accuracy where that ICBM is and where it's going to go. Uh, so we've built up a bunch of missile defense systems to try and combat that by basically shooting another missile at that missile. Think, think of like iron dome, you know, uh, in Israel or, uh, Patriot missile defense defense systems or S four hundreds, right? That's what we do we can see where they're going. We generally know where they're going to go. So our idea is we're just going to shoot another missile at it because we know where it's going to be, right? Um and we we do a pretty good job. It's not 100% accurate, but it it's pretty good. And uh, like like General Hayton said, you know, we've got at least 30 minutes to stop them, right? So it's more than enough time for us to figure shit out, crunch all the numbers, do the math and you know, shoot our own missile at it. But with these new hypersonic missiles, it's a little different, since they are like mini planes. You can you can steer them, right? And this could potentially be done remotely by a person, like you know, like flying a drone, or it could be done automatically by computers. Now, I haven't found anything definitive uh, on how effective these things are at avoiding incoming anti like air missile defenses. But right now, it's kind of hard to imagine that we couldn't figure out how to shoot them out of the sky, even if they can steer themselves. Especially these boost glide missiles, they're definitely going to be easier to hit than scramjet or air-breathing ones, because if you steer them, like, remember, this is a paper airplane, if it veers off the original path that it was going on, it's going to encounter more drag, and it's going to slow down faster, right? So you won't be able to, like, do all crazy kind of maneuvers. It's not going to be like a Sequoia flying around in the air, like doing backflips and shit. Right. Uh, it, it, it only has, but so much momentum to fly through the sky. So it can only really turn so hard. Right. Scramjet ones might be a problem, you know, uh, because, because it has a propulsion system, you know, it won't slow down that much by turning or by doing an evasive maneuver. Um, but it would expend more fuel doing that. And and right now, that can only really be a problem if we figure out how to get them to go farther than a couple hundred miles. Overall, though, the math suggests that these weapons, very much like the ones that were tested by China recently, are not as dangerous as the media makes them out to be. And this was the mistake I made last episode. Uh, and it was that I thought that China's test was a big deal because... I got the types of hypersonic missiles mixed up. What I was thinking initially was that China had successfully deployed something like an air-breathing scramjet, but it looks like they didn't do that. They're just doing paper airplanes, right? I'd be a little bit more concerned if they made scramjets that were fucking great, you know? But here's the thing, though. We've been working on hypersonics a lot longer than China, and we're working on the dangerous scramjet kinds, too. And there's there's actually a pretty good Forbes article that I used for some additional research on air-breathing hypersonic missiles. I'm gonna read you a quick little quote. Uh, So the DARPA press release says, key parameters tested were success uh, in launching from an airplane, ignition of the rocket, separation of the spent rocket booster, and successful cruising at high speeds, but not successful on impact on a target. So right now, What that means is that we have prototypes which could sustain Mach 5 plus beads in the atmosphere. Uh, They also talk about how they're small enough to be launched by a plane, and also they're gonna be harder but not impossible to detect on radar because they have a super small radar cross section. Here's another quote. The hypersonic attack cruise missile, which has already been allocated $190 million in funding in the draft 2022 budget appears to be a more straightforward operationalized successor to the Hawk, which is another one of these things that we've been working on that can be carried operationally by both bombers like the B-2 and the B-1 Lancer and fighters like the F-35 or the F-15. So we already passed budget for it. You know, we're going to be spending money on it anyway. We already have the prototypes. They're doing this. We're, We're already doing this. And we're doing the dangerous kinds too. All right, last little bit from that article. DARPA is concerned with developing advanced technologies well ahead of what's immediately practicable. And thus, the Hawk program incepted in 2014 doesn't seek to create a viable weapon, but rather to refine the prerequisite propulsion and airframe technologies. That leaves important characteristics such as guidance capabilities, unelaborated. That, that is to say, just to sum that up, it probably isn't wor- isn't going to work, right? We're just kind of spending money to fuck around and see what we can create. What new technology can we make just for the sake of making new technology, right? Now, it, I think it's conceivable that they could be more dangerous and we could be making some stuff, you know, and maybe China actually does work on some scramjets and, and that, you know, that would be dangerous, but you know, we have to use science and math to figure out what's the best solutions against those weapons. Everything we know right now, it it suggests that it's probably better to just further develop our existing anti-missile defenses as well as the satellites that we use to track all these things rather than just kind of focusing on these expensive new toys. And and this kind of brings me to the point that Dr. Tracy was trying to make in his talk, and it's that the military industrial complex, the MIC, they just want us to think that hypersonic missiles are a big threat right now, so that they can appropriate more money to develop them. Yeah. So they they do things like intentionally misleading, you know, they put out this intentionally misleading information, like the one that General Hyten uh, uh, did at that Senate Arms Committee hearing. Because they knew that the media is going to pick it up and run with it. And then everybody's going to get scared and chinophobic and all this other shit. And it's going to give them, you know, Lockheed and Boeing and Raytheon, all these, all these people, it's going to give them an excuse to just get new contracts and make a lot of money for something that it's probably not even to work. And if it does work, we haven't figured out a practical application for it. And if we have figured out a practical application for it, we have something cheaper that does the same thing, probably just as good, if not better. ICBMs, <laughs> you know, it, it, so, it's all kind of just a, it, it's an MIC thing, you know.
1: This is a. This really reminds me, or doesn't remind me, because I didn't live at this in this day of age. However, this is a very similar story to the missile gap. Have you ever heard about the missile gap? Totally. Mm -hmm. Quote, unquote, the missile, air quotes, the missile gap. Yep. And the missile gap was something that was very big in the 1950s. So basically, um, this is something that JFK actually campaigned on, was bridging the missile gap between the Soviet Union and uh, the United States. And mm-hmm. uh, remember, Kennedy was like a pretty Cold War hardliner. Yep, he attacked Eisenhower for being too soft in Southeast Asia. Um, you know, as as Eisenhower was finishing up his second term, Democrats portrayed him as you know the old man who has fallen asleep. Right. Basically, the Democrats portrayed Eisenhower like Republicans are portraying Biden right now. It's kind of like, <laughs> like, old, and, old, yeah. like old and incompetent soft Um, you know Mm -hmm. soft weak old and incompetent Um, yeah asleep at the wheel I think Mm -hmm. that's a term that's been used that's a really good comparison dude yeah in 1957 there is this sudden crisis that meant doom for western civilization and the Soviets they they uh, successfully they tested a uh, intercontinental ballistic missile and um You know, allegedly they had way more ICBMs in America. And in a war, the popular consensus among the national security establishment was that the U.S. would be wiped off the face of the earth. You know, if we Mm -hmm. got into a war due to this missile gap. And Mm -hmm. the reason or one of the main reasons why this story was given so much credibility was because the same year in 1957, the Soviets launched Sputnik. Into space. So, yep. you know, the Soviets beat us to launching shit in orbit and space.
2: Yeah, we had serious FOMO back then.
1: Yeah. About that. So, you know, the Soviet Union, they start to appear as more advanced in um, in just technology in general and weapons technologies and just the ability to shoot shit at other people. Just going back to our analogy... Or, uh, you know, just the thought experiment, not really a thought experiment, but like when you're talking about how um, we've advanced so much in technology in just like 700, 800 years. Uh, well, the Soviet Union had our edge, apparently, at this time. Well, it turned out that the missile gap was complete horseshit. <laughs> it was a very carefully and uh, constructive narrative. And the whole point of the missile gap was designed to increase defense spending. Sounds and when right. Kennedy gets into office, Eisenhower just straight up, you know, he tells him, you know, during his transition meeting, that there is no missile gap. Like we ain't got none. <laughs> th- there is no missile gap. Like who do you think I am? I'm I'm Eisenhower. Like I'm, I'm supreme commander. I was supreme commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force, I bossed other generals around from different countries. I was a five-star general. Like, you're a fucking punk rich kid. Right. So, I mean, that was... There's, like, a lot of... It's, like, an interesting meeting if you ever read about the the meeting between um, Eisenhower and JFK during a transition meeting. Like, you know, apparently Eisenhower was like, do you know what it is to be president? And he like showed him all this cool shit about like how like, look, look what I can do right here. And like a helicopter come picks him up. So like, this is the power that you got. Here's a football. You can launch a nuke anywhere. It's like a real interesting story. But, you know, Kennedy probably knew that there was no missile gap. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, obviously, it was just a political ploy. I don't really think he gave too much thought about it until he was actually in a White House and had to deal with these nut jobs himself. Would you probably, probably just die. found
2: something that, that, that yeah. you know, the American public thought was correct. You know, like there was this, you know, missile gap fear going around and Sputnik had just happened and it was like, all right, well, I'm just going to use this as a way to beat down political opponents, right? This is a weak point.
1: It's just, yeah, awful. why, why wouldn't you? And it's just kind of fun. It's ironic though. I mean, it's, I think it's becoming more accepted among just like the general population that, there's a lot more to the Kennedy assassination, and it had something to do with messing around with the wrong people, um, mm. either in the military-industrial complex or the CIA or foreign intelligence agencies. And it's uh, interesting, or all the or in the mafia, but or all of the above. It's like there's so many people who wanted them dead that you know it's hard to exactly point, but you know there are some pretty uh, interesting, actually and compelling JFK conspiracies. So not to go too too deeply into a rabbit hole, but I've been watching
2: uh, American Horror Story this uh, year. And it's a two-parter. And the first part is like, I don't know, Crackhead Vampires, which was weird. But the second part is like Aliens. And you know I'm all big into Aliens and shit like that. And aliens but it's still like this, JFK? Yeah, dude. So it's, it's like, no spoilers or anything like that. I wasn't, this, you just spoiled it. Well, it's this alternate history, right? And it starts with Eisenhower. And... It's like, you know, because Eisenhower is around during the Roswell shit, right? And it starts off how, like, Eisenhower does a deal with the aliens. And this is all in the first episode, right? To, like, let them abduct human beings. And then it goes through, like, Eisenhower and, like, Nixon and, like, JFK and shit like that. And, like, the reason that JFK ends up getting shot is because he wanted to out, out this, like, meeting, you know, this, this, like, deal that we have with the aliens and, uh, well, you know, they didn't let that happen. Right. Um, it's super fascinating. I, you know, if you don't like American horror story, but you do like alternate history shit, I actually think it's worth a watch. Um, even better if you do like American horror story, it's super fun. And it like to, to play along with your idea of like JFK had a lot of, uh, a lot of people gunning for him. It might've been aliens too, man. It might've been aliens.
1: Could have been. Um, I wouldn't rule anything out <laughs> that's what dave chappelle said right no it was a Dave yeah. chappelle's skit it was, it was a magic bullet it was an actual magic bullet and that you know when he was a uh, black president mm-hmm. and he was talking about meteor and he was like this and uh he's like and uh like it was a magic bullet and then it was like aliens exist I'm going with my friend bibble and these two and these white twins and we're gonna go colonize another planet <laughs> you Chappelle show fan
0: Yeah, man,
2: totally.
1: Do you you remember this? In years, but
2: yeah, Uh, it's a funny. uh,
1: It's a. a, Um, but all right, the missile gap, missile. Um, back to the missile gap. So basically, it was just conspired by the the, by the MIC. So there's an Air Force general at this time named General Curtis LeMay, and you know him and a couple of Congress critters who were connected to the defense industry. They're the ones who primarily, you know, started this rumor, and um, you know it starts in a congressional hearing in 1957 that there that I guess the first one of the first claims is that in three years the Russians would be able to launch a surprise knockout attack on the U.S. and um, it was because the U.S. was behind Russia and B-50, B-52 bombers, so. Mm-hmm you know they or just bombers in general push yeah. they lobbied the US to increase their B52 bombers from like 137 to like eight, 1800 um but That's it was like an extra huge 4 billion increase. yeah it was like an extra 4 billion dollars in defense in in the defense budget Wait, and then money or now just, money and and then money and 4 Jesus. billion dollars in 19, 1957 so a lot now Eisenhower knew this wasn't really the case but there were people who who in his own administration who were trying to undermine him and um, what happened was that Eisenhower's um, the assistant secretary of the Air Force for research and development resigned and said that Eisenhower was withholding money for ballistic missile research and that the Soviet Union was about to develop their own ballistic missile and um, you know if the Soviet Union got a ballistic missile then all these European countries would just be like oh well the Soviet Union is going to destroy us all we better just get power to all our you know local communist parties and that was really like the narrative that was going on in the 1950s that they are going to get this missile Europe is gone all of Europe's going to capitulate and the communist parties there are going to be so empowered because the Soviet Union's had access to uh you know more firepower could outgun right. the United States and where this is where scoop Jackson comes in so we, we've talked about uh, scoop Jackson um, Henry Jackson he was a, a Democratic center senator from Washington and he was a mentor for many of the future prominent neoconservatives So, um, Paul Wolfowitz and Richard Pearl, they both worked for Scoop Jackson as aides. So, he was one of the godfathers of neoconservatism. Scoop Jackson. Um, A lot of them stem from like the Cold Warrior uh, Democrats from the 1950s. And the reason why he would attack Eisenhower, it wasn't because Eisenhower was weak. Eisenhower wasn't weak. Eisenhower would threaten to nuke people daily. Basically Eisenhower (laughs) just like, okay, I'll nuke you. I'll nuke you. I'll nuke you. (laughs) It's like, you got to make people believe that you'll nuke him. He wasn't weak. The reason why, um, you know, the missile gap was pushed was because he was, um, a Washington, um, he was, he was a Washington Senator and Mm -hmm. not Washington state. And, um, Boeing at the time was based out of Seattle before they moved to Chicago. Like mm. they moved to Chicago like within the past two decades, like 20 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, I mean, he was effectively serving as a lobbyist for Boeing during his political career. And um, it it's also important to note, you know, we, we, like I said just now, Eisenhower's strategic doctrine was massive retaliation. So, you know, massive retaliation is basically like don't do anything that we don't like or we'll destroy you. Or if you show any sign of aggression, you know, we'll just completely annihilate you. That's it.
2: Right. So, it's kind of like North, which, North Korea's um North Korea's defense against South Korea is just like don't try nothing cuz we've got mad flak guns and, and, you know, artillery pointed at Seoul and we can hit them in seconds if we want to. And we're going to make
3: it really painful for you. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. Plus, my pal and noted China historian, Rana Mitter, joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Faceoff launches April 9th.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances— shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Well, yeah. Well, what that does is that it eliminates the need for other branches of the military. So right. at this time, or at least diminishes it, so um, what was pushed by the Democrats in and uh, during the election cycle, uh, during Eisenhower's second campaign, a uh, second um, term, was flexible response. And flexible response was basically like you need to be flexible. You know, every there's you can't outweigh, you can't just eliminate. Um, you know, the normal army that we're used to. Like there's going to be situations where we're going to need to have like. Pitched war and stuff like that. Like they don't. They want to. They did not want to lose. um, You can't just rely on the the defense spending, right? Because remember, Eisenhower Mm -hmm. increased the amount of nuclear warheads in the United States by like two thousand percent. It was something like twenty thousand. I think by the end of his term, there was like eighteen thousand nuclear warheads Mm. in in, in our in our circulation. It's a lot. Which yeah. basically says, like, all right, we're gonna rely on this. Like, we're we're gonna rely on. Uh,
2: don't really need an army when you have tactically. Dest- 18, we don't really need mutes. an army
1: when we can destroy you with with my push of my button. So that became like a uh, something kind of the 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 beat to um, criticize Eisenhower with because there was a lot of jobs on the line. Mm, um, but see. what was really interesting is that Eisenhower commissioned to study on the ability of the U S to withstand a nuclear attack and like what to do about it. And the guy who writes this report is, um, or who writes the report on this committee is Paul Nitz uh, and and Paul Nitz is, um, we spoke about this guy a couple of episodes ago when we did our show on the origins of the cold war. He's the guy who drafted most of the NSC 68, which is basically, the blueprint for permanent militarization of uh, after world war two. Right. And the report was titled, you
2: know, we would wind down our militarization after every major war.
1: Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the, I guess the, the modern day uh, permanent military state that we live in now started after world war two, because, you know, after world war, after the civil war, after the Spanish American war, after world war one, the United States would always demilitarize and, they would stop. Everybody their would go home. <laughs> defense budget. People would go home and get jobs, and you know it wouldn't be like this career thing. Now, after World War II, there was a permanent arms industry that did not want to go away, so they needed a justification to exist. Well, mm-hmm. the the NSC 68 is is what was the blueprint that outlined, you know, that current really garrison state. That's what Eisenhower called it garrison state. Now, um, the report was titled the uh, The deterrence and survival in the nuclear age. And it just made a lot of false claims. So it claimed that the Soviets had uh, 1500 nuclear weapons, 450 bombers and 300 submarines pointed at the United States. And it also said the Soviet Union was growing stronger. And you know, it. But by the 1960s, they were gonna, you know, just completely pass us in basically everything that we were doing militarily and technology wise. And mm-hmm. um, it it recommended that Eisenhower increase the defense budget. It's like it was. I think in, its recommendation was to increase defense spending by. Uh, like $40 billion or so, or like 44, I think it was $44 billion over the next five years. And it basically repudiated Eisenhower's current new look strategy. And um, it, it also advocated for more nuclear weapons, but it also mm. advocated for the conventional forces, uh, you know, to let them enable, you know, to, to, so they can suppress small wars right for the little, for the little ones for the, for the little right. wars mm-hmm. and what it also did was it claimed that the soviets maintained um a an army of 175 line divisions and it was just completely exaggerated and it it just also hinted that they were about to take over europe it was just a bunch of pure Fantasy. There is no evidence for any of this. In fact, the evidence pointed that this was not true. Mm. So the reason why to the, contrary. the reason why Eisenhower knew all this was a lie was because the CIA was running u two pi- uh, spy planes over the Soviet Union and giving him intelligence reports on their you know their different capabilities right. and. Um, I think the report claimed that, you know, the Soviet Union had hundreds of these intercontinental missiles. Guess how many they actually had? I don't know. They had four. Four? They had four. (laughs) They had four of these. They had nothing. They had nothing. All this was complete horseshit. Like none of this was real. So it was just made this report which is made up and here is the it was like the 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 steel dossier like it was just some looney tune fucking report and then um what happens is that someone from the committee leaked it to the Washington Post So there was an anonymous leaker
2: I mean that's usually how it goes, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. It was probably, it was most likely Paul Nitz who did it. So, I mean, it could have been anyone, I guess, but I mean, those, mm-hmm. are, those that's the guy who people kind of point to who, who most likely leaked this to the Washington Post. So they made a and bullshit report. In the Washington report. Post, they run with it and they're like, oh, the U.S. is in grave danger. It's in the gravest mm-hmm. danger in human history. Oh, no. And, um, I think this is one of the main reasons why Eisenhower and I'm not saying Eisenhower was 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 perfect like he certainly <laughs> increased the likelihood of a nuclear war I guess right like just mm-hmm. by circulating yeah, totally. that many bombs but he wasn't really interested and in, I mean also also the CIA grew under him and it I don't think but he wasn't certainly interested in like having a you know a traditional another World War II-type war. I mean, he got us out of Korea. Right. I don't think he ever planned on having anything like Vietnam or what Vietnam turned into. This is why I think that Eisenhower decided to warn the public about the MIC during his farewell address. Because it's kind of weird, right? The fact that Eisenhower... His the main topic, the main thing that he talks about during his farewell address, or at the very least, you know, the most memorable thing, the thing that everyone remembers, is that he's like, guys, we have created a military-industrial complex. The defense industry is ran by corporate interest, and like, this is how deci- decisions are made. Right. It's weird right. though to see him to, to see him say that. Like, don't you, I I get a little bit of like, man, he really must have seen some shady shit. shit. He (laughs) must have seen some shit if he decided to, to, to blow the whistle before he left office.
2: That's right. That is right. You know, I mean, you know, kind of going back to the American Horror Story alternate history thing. At the end, you know, he starts to have his second thoughts about that deal that he made with the aliens and, you know. He's you know very uncomfortable with what he created, whether advertently or inadvertently. And I think is same is probably true in real life. You know he was probably doing what he thought was right during the time, but it kind of spiraled out of control. And now he realized he created a monster. So you know in his like last dish effort, he's trying to warn the public that hey, this MIC thing, it's not very good. And and it's kind of it's kind of funny how you know when you talk about the the, the report. Uh, about, you know, this, this gap and like how much the Soviet Union had, you know, how they create this bullshit report and then leak it themselves and the media picks it up and then, you know, everyone goes nuts about it, right? It sounds a lot like what we're hearing now, you know, I feel like they just took a page out of that book right there from the, you know, the Eisenhower era and they were just like, all right, well, we're just going to go to the Senate arms committee and we're not going to lie to them. We're just going to, like, kind of twist words a little bit to make it sound like this is a like a big deal, right? And then they knew that the media was going to pick it up and that, you know, and they have, you know, just literally Google hypersonic. Just the word hypersonic. That's it. And you're going to get dozens of articles about how we're in imminent danger and we're going to die tomorrow if we don't spend billions of dollars to also create this, you know, and... I mean, what does that effectively do? You know, like, I guess you could say that, you know, mutually assured destruction has worked so far, right? You know, where we increased our bombs and they increased their bombs. And now we all have more than enough bombs to blow each other up and blow the entire planet to smithereens, you know, so we're not going to go to war, right? Are we really going to use this new technology as just like another... Mutually assured destruction. Like, do we think that that's going to be effective again? You know, we can already blow each other up a million times over. A faster missile isn't necessarily going to change the game somehow,
1: you know? I know. It's like we already have so many of them. We, like, like, remember... Fa- our, our, just because a couple of them go faster than the other ones is going to change the game. It's going to just be... Right. It's going to make that big of a difference.
0: Right.
2: R- remember remember our uh conversation on the nuclear sponge, right? Where we intentionally put all of these intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear tips on them literally everywhere all over the country. Like you might live near one. Right? That's the title of the uh of the episode is Do You Live Near uh, you know, a Nuclear Sponge. And the reason why we do that is because you know, in the event of like a full-scale, you know, war with someone like Russia or in this case China, you know, The idea is if you had all your missiles in one place, you know, your enemy is just going to attack that one place and then basically get rid of your ability to retaliate with the same nuclear force, right? So to mitigate this issue, we just put them everywhere. So, okay, maybe you take out New York, maybe you take out Washington, maybe you take out a couple of like missile silos, but we still have thousands of other places where we can shoot off these thousands of other nuclear weapons. So big fucking deal. You know, you got off a cheap shot. Now we're going to blow up the whole fucking planet, right? So same thing with these hypersonic missiles. Just because we don't have them, which is not true, we do, right? But let's let's just say China is leaps and bounds better than us right now, right? And they, and they have this new cool toy that can fly faster than anything else. And maybe we can't stop it. Do you really think that we're just going to sit down and be like, oh, well, I guess we lose? No, we're going to fucking bomb the living hell out of them with nukes.
1: If they try something, you know? and then we all lose. It's just outrageous to think that anyone would ever shoot a missile at the United States. Right? Maybe all right, maybe Taiwan. Maybe you can f- fantasize that. Okay. Right. They well, Taiwan's fucked. Th- this tech this technology, <laughs> this technology yeah. is for um only projecting power in the Pacific, nothing else. Right. They're not going to attack the American homeland. They're not right. going to even attack anything outside of Taiwan. Can you imagine if the uh, if China attacked Japan or South Korea.
2: Oh, God, no. They would, would be never in a million years. Maybe maybe nev- not never, but it would be the dumbest mistake they can ever make. And it very well might be the last mistake they
1: make, too. Japan doesn't have nuclear weapons, but in a couple of weeks, they could. Yep. I mean, they and have if plenty they wanted of nuclear to.
2: reactors and they have plenty of... They can enrich uranium very quickly, and they have all the tech. Dude, they they make Gundams. You <laughs> know, they make giant robots.
1: <laughs> they they can they can spin up a nuke pretty quickly if they needed to. I mean, that's a deterrent in itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe they don't have war uh, nuclear warheads ready to be launched, but they sure as hell can make those in a couple of weeks. Yep, it wouldn't take long so i mean i i just i just don't i don't see this 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 threat i think it's really like we're scrambling for a bad guy we're scrambling for someone to uh divert our attention as we withdraw more from our current wars and china's just perfect I mean, let's, let's just be real. China is a totalitarian government. They are bad. Mm-hmm. They are not an ideal country. Um, but they make the perfect boogeyman. And like, let's just get serious. A war with China would just most likely be the end of humanity. It Probably. wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a positive outcome. It wouldn't be like a glorious ending. It would just be the end of human civilization. Either that or or
2: both sides would just agree to stop because they recognize that it would be the end of humanity. You know, we would get nowhere. Nothing would happen.
1: Here's what Eisenhower said. And maybe we can end it with this unless you want to add something else. No, that that, that works for me. This is something from his uh, his famous farewell address. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. So the only way to combat these influences, and if you haven't listened to this speech, I recommend it. I recommend listening to the it's full Eisenhower uh, farewell address because he focuses on this. Um, You know, he's basically saying like, hey, you got to be paying attention to what these animals are doing. Like these guys are (laughs) just lying constantly and there's a business interest involved and people making money. And that's why these wars are are going on. Or that's why there's people who are pushing for wars. Um, By no means am I saying Eisenhower was perfect. I'm just saying that his keen observations at the end and um, him talking about this has obviously created probably the number one word that people who are against these interventions use to, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, put them in that catch all phrase, uh, That's the right. military industrial complex. I mean, when I was, when we were first started or when I was younger, the MIC almost sounded like a conspiracy theory, you know, I was like, Oh, yeah, right. MIC, you must be a nutty, crazy person. Talking right. about the MIC, there's no MIC, and then clearly there is. Clearly, right. there's business interest. It's um, actually not. And it's people not making money off this idiots. shit. <laughs> yeah, and not just business interest, but there's also in political interest and uh, right. career interest as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, listen to our episode on um, uh, understanding the war industry with Christian Sorensen, um, who wrote a wonderful book on well an incredible book on it um and we had a really great interview so i wouldn't use wonderful to describe a book about the military industrial complex doesn't seem (laughs) right wonderful (laughs) wonderful (laughs) um okay do you have anything else to add
2: no man i think that's a good place to end
1: Okay. Um, All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bro History. We really appreciate you guys uh, giving us your attention. If you want to support the show, uh, make sure that you rate and review the podcast. That is number one way to support us. And then you can also join us on Patreon where you get access to our Slack community. It's a great way to support the show as well. And um, yeah, I guess we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.